today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. should be in us. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, divested himself of his glory, humbled himself, took on flesh, and died for me, why should any of us think too much of ourselves? Why are we so full of ourselves? Pride is the great destroyer. Pride is what destroyed Satan. Satan was originally created as a guardian cherub, probably the highest ranking of the angels in heaven until it says that his beauty corrupted him and pride entered his heart. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. The lure of the world is powerful, and the natural inclination of humans is to imitate the worldly lives of those around us. Today, Pastor Gary challenges you to examine your heart and mind to determine how you are being conformed to the world. As you spend time with God in prayer and in His Word, your mind is renewed and you are transformed more into the likeness of Jesus. Today's scripture will challenge you to humbly judge and present yourself in the body of Christ to reflect Jesus to a needy world. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 21, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Romans chapter 12, so turn in the pages of your Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The main theme of the whole 12th chapter of Romans is to resist the pressure to conform to this world and instead to give yourself fully to the work and will of God. And the first two verses are about the vertical. Paul talks here in chapter 12 about our relationship with God, the vertical, when he says in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect Will So, you know, he gives us some instruction there in verse 1 and first part of verse 2 that ultimately leads up to this question of what is God's will for my life? How can I discern the will of God? And Paul says, here's here's a way that you can discern the will of God. Everybody I've ever met, myself included, if you're a believer, you want to know what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for tomorrow? What's God's will for a major decision or a minor decision? We're always hopefully wanting to know the will of God because... 
As you notice there, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And we talked about this like a bullseye, like a target with a bullseye, the bullseye being his perfect will. But on the perimeter, it's also his good and pleasing will. And obviously, the goal for every believer in the Lord is to discern the perfect will of God. I mean, if we had an arrow that could shoot on the target, we'd always want to hit the bullseye. That, that's the most optimal place to be. That said, however, as a follower of Christ, don't get into these fitful thoughts where you think, if I'm not in this perfect center, then I'm doomed, you know, and that somehow I'm going to fall off a cliff and that God's, you know, look, there's grace around the perfect will of God. And that would include his good and pleasing will. So we may not always be walking in his perfect will, but as a believer, if you always are praying and doing your best and trusting God, there will be a part of our flesh that won't always get it right. Okay, but there's grace for that. And God is good enough to bring us back into the path a long step with his perfect will. So don't lose heart and feel like I've made one fateful decision in my life that I know was out of the will of God. And now the course of my life is on the path of destruction. Don't go down that path. That's not that's not the right path mentally or literally, because as a as a follower of Christ, look, there's plenty of grace to go around for even the mistakes that we make. But. That said, we obviously still want to strive for, aim for, shoot for, pray for the perfect will of God. And Paul says there in the first couple of verses, here are three ways that you can discern the will of God. Commit your bodies and lives as living sacrifices of holiness. That's what he says in verse 1. We need to understand, folks, listen to this. Consecration comes before revelation. Consecration comes before revelation. If you are living your life any way you jolly well want to, Why do you think that God is obligated to reveal his will for your life? If we are living in disobedience to God and we're just pleasing ourselves instead of living to please the Lord, if we're not walking in holiness and purity to honor God, if we're not honoring God with our lives, why do we think he is obligated to reveal to us his will for us when we're not even walking in obedience with him? So consecration before revelation. Don't expect God to reveal his his will for your life if you are walking in disobedience to him. Paul says holiness is one way that we honor the Lord. First uh, Peter 1.16 says God is holy, and, and because he is holy, he says, I am holy, therefore uh, be holy because I am holy. And please note, this is not the kind of, well, I must live a holy life in order to get the answers that I want. The motivation to a holy life is what? Look back up at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. See, when I continue to remember the mercy of God, it motivates me to holy living. When I continue to remember how God loves me, pursued me, died for me, is patient with me, forgives me, that motivates me, you see, to holy living. So that's the motivation, the mercy of God. When we lose sight of the mercy of God, we will be less inclined to live a life of holiness. But when we continue to remind ourselves of all that God has done and his incredible grace towards us, oh, his forgiveness. How many of you are thankful for the forgiveness of God in your life? and for the mercy of God, and the love of God. And so when we continue to focus on that, it motivates us to holy living, because we just want to do that now in response to what he has done for us. 
So consecration, commit your bodies and lives as living sacrifice of holiness. Second thing he tells us here is do not be conformed, which means molded or fashioned by this world. Okay? Ask yourself a question, or maybe this would be a good question for you to ask someone who knows you. Do I resemble more the pattern of this world or the pattern of the Lord? When people look at your life, what is the image that you bear? Do you look more like the world or do you look more like Jesus? You know, have you ever taken a nap on a couch that has rough fabric or maybe bumpy material? You know, you're taking a nap on it. And then when you wake up, you got the imprint on the side of your face. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, or just wrinkles, you know, from the fabric or material or whatever you were snuggled up against. Listen, that's what happens. You will bear the imprint of whatever you cozy up to. Okay, you cozy up to this world, you will look like this world. You cozy up to Jesus, you will look like Jesus. What image, what pattern do you bear? And the warning here is, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, which also tells us what? The natural inclination of all of our hearts is to go with the way of the world. That the pull and the lure of this world is powerful and intense. And that we have to make deliberate decisions. I see the way the world is. I understand the way the world thinks. I get the way the culture's moving, but it's not going to mold me into its image. Okay? I'm going to reflect Christ. I want to be his light in a dark world. I want to make a difference in the world. I want the world to be influenced by Christ through me and not the other way around. And this has to be deliberate, intentional, and you have to recognize this battle every single day of your life, and you can't let your guard down. Because the world is constantly trying to squeeze us into its mold. And it wants that imprint to be on us. But we have to be people who follow after Christ and don't allow the world to mold us. But instead, in Jesus, we help to mold and shape the world. And then the third thing that he says there is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how we're all going to discern the will of God. He says these things to us. But this third one, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, is an important one. The war of the flesh. And it is that. Okay? The wrestling that we have with our own fleshly instincts. The war of the flesh will be won or lost on the battleground of the mind. The war of your flesh will be won or lost on the battleground of your mind. Because as you think, and as you allow your thoughts, so your life will follow. Your life does not lead your thoughts, your thoughts lead your life. And so if we don't wrestle with our thought life, we are apt then to live out those very things that we're thinking. And if you're honest enough about your own thought life, it's pretty wicked. And why is that? Because it's the one thing that no one else can see. And so there's this tendency that we can allow our minds to think whatever we want. And people then begin to think to themselves, as long as I don't act on this, it's okay for me to entertain this thought. No, it's not. Because you don't recognize the power of your thoughts to influence your actions. That's why, because our minds are by nature filthy, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says... We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. By nature, our thoughts are filthy. So, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And because by nature, our minds, our thoughts are worldly, 
Colossians 3, 2 is another good verse. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Colossians 3, 2. It addresses this whole idea that our minds are generally worldly. It's unavoidable, the influence of the world. What is avoidable is how we respond to it. I don't know if it was D.L. Moody. I don't know who to give credit to. I don't remember. But but, uh, someone said that I, I have no control over the birds flying above my head, but I have control whether or not they build a nest in my hair. Okay? There's some things I can't control. There's some influences in this world that are around me, but I, I don't need it to build a nest in my hair. Okay? And so we have to take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. We have to set our minds on things above, not things on the earth. And also because our minds are by nature fearful. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I could go on and on because our minds are naturally filthy, because our minds are naturally worldly, because our minds are naturally fearful. There's a verse for everything that's important for us to just really search the scriptures and be transformed. That's how we're going to be transformed. That's how we're going to renew our minds is by getting into God's word and allowing his word to speak to our hearts and our minds. So, again, main theme here, to resist the pressure to conform to this world, to give yourself fully the work of and will of God. Verse 1 and 2 are the vertical. So that was a quick summary of verses 1 and 2 from last week. And now verses 3 to 21 uh, to the end of this chapter is about the horizontal. Paul's going to shift now, and he's going to talk about our relationship with one another. Now look at verse 3 of chapter 12 here. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. All right, so let me pause there for a moment. So he talks here about how we are are wonderfully integrated. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with some of this language, oftentimes the, the church, Christians, are referred to in Scripture as the body, the body of Christ. And it bears the resemblance in this sense to our physical bodies in that just like you have a physical body that has different parts of the body, you have eyes that have a function, you have a mouth that has a function, you have hands and feet, you have different parts of your body, and all of it is wonderfully made and knit together by God above. But all of our parts have different and unique abilities and properties, and yet thus it all works in a coordinated fashion to complement one individual. And so in the Bible, a lot of times, this is the same as it goes for the body of Christ, where we're all different, and we look a little different, and we act a little different. We have different backgrounds and different makeups and different gifts and different talents. He says here, but though we are different members, we make up one body, and we are uniquely connected, and the gifts that God has given us uniquely complement one another. And so We all fit together as one body. Now, he says here, to understand how we fit together properly, he starts out there in verse 3 by saying, 
do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment. So this is a warning to live a life of humility. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like every time I turn through the Bible, there's some message about pride and humility. Every place I go in the Bible, it's about pride and humility. And so this is one of the things that Paul says here to us. He says, listen, if you want to understand how you are to relate to one another, you're going to have to take on humility. And the Bible is full of verse after verse after verse about the issue of humility and the problem of pride. 1 Peter 5.5, for you note takers, I'll read it to you. 1 Peter 5.5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 23.12. Whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Here's James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Verse after verse after verse. In the book of Proverbs chapter 6, there's a list of seven things that God hates. It specifically says it. God hates. There's certain things God hates. Six things God hates. Seven things that are detestable to him. First thing on the list, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. And so we are called to take on humility Philippians 2 talks about that we should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, came in human likeness, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because when Jesus became humble, then it says, and then God the Father exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess. And so that attitude should be in us. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, divested himself of his glory, humbled himself, took on flesh, and died for me, why should any of us think too much of ourselves? Why are we so full of ourselves? Pride is the great destroyer. Pride is what destroyed Satan. Satan was originally created as a guardian cherub. Probably the highest ranking of the angels in heaven. Until it says that his beauty corrupted him and pride entered his heart. And he said that he wanted to be the most high God. And Satan always had this ambition to be worshipped like God. And pride was the downfall of Satan. And pride is the downfall of any of us. Unless we do as he says here. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So we have to see ourselves in the right way. Now, there's a lot of things that shape the way we see ourselves. Isn't that true? There's a lot of things in life that have shaped us to the place where we have this perception of who we are. To some degree, the way you were raised, obviously, shapes you. Maybe you were raised in a home with both parents. Maybe you were raised in a home with neither parents. Maybe a grandmother raised you, a grandfather. Maybe you only had a mom, only had a dad. Maybe you were raised in a home with a lot of praise and encouragement. Maybe you were raised in a home with a lot of criticism and you could never do anything right. Okay? Those things shape us to some degree or another. Maybe, maybe the way that we have identified ourselves over time has been the result of what people have said to us or about us. Those things do play a factor. Not the factor, but plays a factor. You know... People can play games with your head just by saying certain things to you. And by the way, 
Somebody once said this to me, and I think this is wise advice. Discount the high end and low end of flattery and criticism. Whatever people say about you or think about you, discount the high end and low end of flattery and criticism. In other words, some of the things that people think about you when they think you're so awesome, you're really not all that. And when other people also think about you, on the other hand, that you're not all that at all, that you're terrible, you're probably not all that either. So discount the high end of flattery and the low end of criticism. You're probably somewhere in the middle, but don't let people play games with your head. Because you're neither as awesome as some people think, and you're not as bad as other people think. I mean, I know we're all sinners as, as far as that goes. Just don't let people define you. I remember one time stepping off the pulpit years ago, and this lady came up to me and she says, You are the Tiger Woods of pastors. Now, this is before Tiger Woods' life went off the rails, okay? It was before all that, all right? She goes, you are the Tiger Woods of pastors. I said, really? Very much. All right. Another home run, I guess, for there. But listen, you know, the beauty is I have someone at home who reminds me, I'm not all that, okay? And And I appreciate that because I need a good, godly, honest wife who will speak reality into my head. Like, yeah, hey, Tiger Woods, take out the trash, you know? And so don't ever let your mind get all carried away with something because it probably isn't true at the high end or the low end. And here's the deal. What we really need to be about is realizing that how we are raised shapes us to some degree. How people treat us over the course of our life shapes us to some degree. What people say, life experiences, all these kind of things, environmental factors, chemical things. A lot of things can shape us. Here's what we need to do. We need to get all that together. Okay? We need to give it to Jesus. And we need to say, Jesus, I need my identity to be in you. That's what we need to do. Say, Jesus, I need my identity in you. I need you to show me who I am, and I need you to build me up in my, inner, in my inner spirit, and I need to have a healthy, sober, right, not grandiose, or not this critical view either of who I am. I just need to know who I am in Christ. I would encourage you, that can be a, a long process, and that's okay, to just constantly be praying and asking the Lord to help shape an understanding, a right, godly, sober perspective of who you are in Christ and allow that new identity in Christ to take root in your life until you really understand who you are in Him. And if you've never really made that a matter of prayer, do that. There was a time in my life I needed to get away for a few days and just ask the Lord, Lord, just Help me to understand your identity for me. I need to know who I am in Christ. And make that a matter of prayer. And make that a matter of fasting. And make that a matter of Bible study. And just say, Lord, I just need to know who I am in Christ. So we need to have this sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And then he talks there in verses 4 and and five about, you know, we're different, but we all are uniquely connected here and interdependent. Though we're different and though each of us is unique, that's the richness and the diversity of the body of Christ.
Romans teaches that living for Jesus isn't just something you say with your mouth. It's an entire lifestyle change. Your heart and your mind are made new through the powerful grace and love of Jesus. You begin to want to do things as Jesus has, and that includes knowing what he says in the Word. It's important to make spending time in the Bible part of your life. You'll learn more about the Savior you follow and his plans for your life and for the world as a whole. We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's message on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen again to this study in Romans, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll be able to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it all. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we'd love to have you come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come meet Pastor Gary, spend some time in the Word, and join us as we lift our voices in praise to our King. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. We hope you'll join us again for this continuing study of Romans right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know